Isn't that beautiful? It's Melanie and Brandon as they sing for us. Uh, there's the children card out in the front. If those of you with children would like to go get some things, you're welcome to do that. The rest of us, we want to take our Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We are looking at this brother of Jesus, the very practical book. It's, it's uh, considered the wisdom literature of the Old Testament as we looked at uh, the New Testament, as we looked at the uh, wisdom literature of the Old Testament last week, because it's very practical. James gets down to where we live and how we actually experience life. Today he talks about the tongue, this thing that can either unite us and create wonderful closeness, or it can ignite a firestorm and cause all kinds of difficulty. As I read our text today, I couldn't help but think what we've all been hearing in the political uh, discussions that have been taking place in our society now. I could give you multitude, as you could as well, examples of how people are using their tongues to ignite firestorms and uh, criticizing one another and attacking one another. But I realized that if I gave those examples, it might come off as though I'm for one candidate or another, and I don't do that, and so I'm not going to to, uh, use those individuals. But I think it is appropriate for us to think about how politicians use their tongues to create either unity in a nation or to deceive and not show what it is that they're actually trying to do either multinationally or within the nation itself, or to, in fact, uh, create firestorms. And there's things that happen where uh, different leaders use their tongues to destroy. So I thought what I'd do, rather than use current-day politicians, and you can make whatever implications you want from James to today's world, because you'll definitely see the parallels. I'm going to take you back in history. I'm going to take you back to 1933, Adolf Hitler was a tremendous uh, speaker, and he was able to motivate crowds with his tongue. And he was instrumental in passing what was called the Enabling Act. This was legislation that the German legislature actually passed that gave all power to the cabinet of which Adolf Hitler was the chancellor. And they could now enact laws. So, in fact, the legislator voted the legislature branch, voted to give to Hitler all the power. In the English, it was subtitled, The Law to Remedy to the Distress of People and the Reich. And Reich is just the word that means realm or empire, as the, Israeli, as the uh, uh, German people saw themselves. Now, in this speech, as you're going to see, I'm only going to give you a small portion. I encourage you to read the whole thing. It's a fascinating um, example of doublespeak in uh, the realm of politics. But Hitler is going to deliberately use his tongue to confuse, to confuse the world, to confuse Europe, to confuse England particularly, uh, to allow everyone to think that Germany is wanting to disarm, and if they'll just disarm, then there will be peace in the realm of Europe. These are the words of Hitler, 1933. We recognize it as a sign of responsibility and goodwill that the British government has, with its disarmament proposal, attempted to finally move the conference to arrive at speedy decisions. 
the right government will support any efforts aimed at effectively implementing general disarmament and securing Germany's long overdue claim for disarmament. We have been disarmed for 14 years, and for the past 14 months we have been waiting for the outcome of the disarmament conference. Even more far-reaching is the plan of the head of the Italian government, who is making a generous and foresighted attempt to ensure the smooth and consistent development of European politics as a whole. We attach the most earnest significance to this plan. We are willing to cooperate with absolute sincerity. You always have to watch it when people say, I'm, I'm speaking honestly with absolute sincerity. On the basis, it provides in order to unite the four great powers, England, France, Italy, and Germany, in peaceful cooperation to courageously and determinedly approach these tasks upon the solution of which Europe's fate depends. And then he says, For this reason we feel particularly grateful for the appreciative warmth which has greeted Germany's national uprising in Italy. We wish and hope that the concurrence of spiritual ideals will be the basis for a continuing consolidation of the friendly relations between these two, our two countries. Similarly, he says, the Reich government, German government, Nazi party, which regards Christianity as the unshakable foundation of the ethics and morality of the people places great value on friendly relations. Now he goes on to speak, of course, but six years after he did this and explained how warmly he wanted to treat all the other nations of Europe, Germany and Italy formed the Axis Alliance. They invaded Poland and World War II began. Now, Hitler isn't always so confusing in his speech. Sometimes he speaks very clearly as to his intentions. He says this, The sole German objective in the region will be to liquidate all Jews who live in Arab countries under the patronage of Great Britain. This was eight years later, 1941, speaking to the leader of the Muslim world in Jerusalem. But I'm sure you see the point. The tongue can set the stage for global conflict, the destruction of whole races of people, the deterioration of families, marriages, the destroyer of souls, or the tongue can be used to bless and bring peace on earth and goodwill amongst all people. The part of the New Testament that we're going to read right now is written to Christians. James is not writing to the larger world. He's writing to us, to the church, to the people who follow Jesus Christ. It's written by this brother of Jesus in order to help us live out the ideal of love and peace upon the earth. As we read it, though, I would have you think about it in all three levels that I've kind of primed the pump for you. Think of it in terms of leaders, teachers, presidents, chancellors, how do they use language? And what happens in their use of language? 
think of it also in terms of the church. Our pastors, our disciples, our Bible study leaders. How do we use language? And then finally, think about it in our own lives, at our own places of work, and our own homes, and our own relationships with other people. What comes out of our mouths? Is it blessing? Is it curse? Is it true harmony and unity? Is it critical destruction? How do we use the tongue that God has given us? So that's what James uh, focuses on today. The NIV translators call this taming the tongue. James writes, Now not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind. But no human being can tame the the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's keep that open before us and let's pray. Father, we recognize, each one of us, that our tongues have been used to bring great blessing, great love, great appreciation. But our tongues have also at times caused great harm, especially with those closest to us. And those who have authority to speak, Sometimes our tongues cause difficulty in the larger realm. So be with us. Speak to each of us. We're here because we want to have you in charge of our entire lives. So have a work within us. And we'll, of course, give you all the praise. Amen. Now, there's no doubt that Hitler was and will be held accountable for his leadership and how he used this skill of speaking that he had. But there's also no doubt that I will, and you will, and we all will be held accountable for how we use our tongues. Every leader in state, church, school, home is going to be held accountable for how we use our tongues.
So we have to ask ourselves, do we use these to unite or to ignite a firestorm? Do we confuse and mislead or do we clarify and inform? Do we bless or do we curse? Now I'm sure you would agree with me that we need help in this. There's no person whose mouth, as, as James makes so clearly, we all stumble, he says, with the use of our tongues. So how does James help us? Well, he, he gives us some very fascinating, and, and you would at first think it almost uh, paradoxical kind of teaching when he says you need to control your tongue, and oh, by the way, no human being can control it. And so he gives us some counsel overall that brings us back to, in fact, the root change in our lives that has to happen if we're going to tame this tongue of ours. First, he says that we will be strictly judged for what we say, and we should therefore control our tongue. And then paradoxically, but control is impossible for a human being, Therefore, we must be deeply purified by God such that he gives a change of heart, a well of fresh water so that we can, in fact, be a well of blessing that comes from deep within who we are, who we really are, such that we express that love and that care for others. So let's look at each one of these and and see how they relate to this care of the tongue. First, he says, we will be strictly judged. Now, James says this applies particularly when we are in a place of teaching or leading or or guiding. And that's true. Uh, Each of us, in whatever responsibilities we have at work, at home, in school, in church, uh, what we say to the next generation is of vital importance and therefore will be strictly judged. Uh, by God in that responsibility. But we also know that James also tells us that we are to watch what we say about others all the time, Uh, that gossip and slander is something that's a sinful, destructive thing when we criticize and, and talk poorly about other people. And yet, you know, most of television is in fact about showing all the bad things that happen in human life, and if it's a newscast or whatever, it's the bad things that people do that we hear about all the time. I was in college when Dr. Dorothy Nolte wrote that very famous poem, Children Learn What They Live. And it's always a very good reminder. The first two lines simply began, If children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. And she goes on and she shows how whatever we express and the environment in which we create our homes and our schools, our community and our our media and all of that kind of stuff is going to produce a certain type of human being. And then about halfway down the, the poem, she reverses it around. And she says, if children live with with praise they will learn appreciation. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love, and on and on. Now, as in most things in life, uh, the judgment that comes upon us doesn't just wait till the great here and after where everybody will receive ultimately what they deserve. 
what we do here with our tongues will create a culture, a family, a church, a future. And we will be strictly judged in that we will live with the outcome of our behavior within our families, within our church, within our community, within our world. It's not just in the kingdom to come that all things are going to receive their judgment. It's what actually happens here. And so we want to ask ourselves the question, am I speaking in ways that creates a better loving humanity? Or am I speaking in ways that's creating a critical, more hostile humanity? And is there any change I need to, to make in the way that I use the tongue that God has given me? Now the second lesson that James gives is not only that we are going to be judged and we are going to create out of what we do and what we say, but the second lesson James gives is that we are to control our tongue. And he uses two analogies to describe why this little tongue is such an important thing. He talks of a bit in a horse's mouth and he talks of a rudder of a, of a boat's aft. Now both of these examples are extremely small within the, that creature or that vessel, the bit, the rudder, but the bit has the power to control a thousand pounds of muscle and horse beneath us, and the rudder has the ability to move a 500,000 ton vessel as it slowly turns that ship. Likewise, the tongue of Adolf Hitler set up a war that cost the lives of 60 million people and attempted to exterminate not only the confessing church, but the Jewish people within the land. But James continues and he states what all of us know then, that we are to control our tongue, but he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, he says. It's full of deadly poisons. Now, all of us know that the tongue itself isn't the problem. It's what moves the tongue. Uh, that's the problem. The tongue itself, I found out, only weighs a few ounces, and it's mostly water. So how can mostly water harm anything, right? Something's moving the tongue. Now, we like to think it's the brain, but how often have you spoken without thinking? Interestingly, in some of the new research on the relationship between the heart and the head and the tongue and the brain, we find that the tongue is directly connected to the midbrain, to this brain stem, the medulla. And that, of course, is the, the part of us that's responsible for the autonomic system, those automatic things that we do. It's interesting as well that the tongue meets the same nerve endings as the eyes and the ears and the nose, and that the senses all connect directly to the midbrain or to the emotional subsystems. But it isn't just the senses. The internal organs, including what we now call the little brain, the heart with these 40,000 neuron-like uh, ability to remember and feel and have preferences and like what it likes and likes what it doesn't like. These heart and lungs and gut and stomach, they're all connected in the very same way, directly into the midbrain, 
into this uh, brain stem. And when they connect, then emotions are felt in the heart, the gut, the breath. Our heart breaks. We feel it here when we have grief. Our stomachs hurt. Our breath is taken away from us. And we go directly to it. Now, I'm not a physician, so I can't push that point too far. But I wonder if this direct connection often leaves out the wisdom of the brain when we speak. We know it does it, of course, expressing through our eyes. Our eyes and our facial expressions and our body language and all of this stuff, it expresses without the brain saying, I want to express fear, or I want to express joy, or I want to express other things. It goes directly into action within that. And so I wonder if the lungs stopping breathing, the stomach hurting when we're afraid, the brain isn't engaged in all that. I wonder if the same thing might be true of the tongue. If maybe, in fact, we might say things without thinking about them. And the tongue expressing a primitive emotional feeling without much filtering of the brain. We know in some diseases that that happens where the tongue simply speaks without the brain being engaged. I wonder if it doesn't do that in other moments where we directly express what's really in the heart without the brain getting involved. Now, whether or not that's true biologically, you guys will have to ask our physicians and see if that's true. It's certainly true spiritually. So that's what causes James to explain that since no human can control their tongue, the only solution is for God to change this deeper human heart. As God changes this deeper human heart such that we have a well of blessing and love and caring for others that spills out from us in an autonomic, automatic way that we actually do love people immediately without having to think about it. We express that love as a living water that springs forth from the presence of God. It's very clear spiritually that the deeper heart has to be so filled with this refreshing water and love and grace and forgiveness such that we do love and give grace and offer forgiveness automatically because it's, it's something that comes up from within us. And that doesn't just happen because we want to be good people. It takes God changing. We cannot just self-control the tongue. We have to, in fact, allow God to change our heart. When God changes our hearts, when we spend time with God, when we allow God to do a work within us, then we are changed. So let me ask, have each of us ask ourselves these questions. Is it true for me that I automatically bring blessing with those who are fortunate or unfortunate enough to live with us in our home, in our families, in our close friendships, in our workplaces, in our political realm? Is it automatic? Do I have a fresh water spring from God that flows through me? Or is, is it a brackish kind of poisoned well that injures those who are close to me? The answer to that, of course, would then decide the next step that you want to take. 
The spiritual disciplines, as you know, are 12 ways that we connect with God such that He changes our hearts, our minds, our ways of being. And those disciplines allow us to spend time in prayer, in worship, in study and service, in silence and solitude, allowing God to truly do a work within us. And so this morning, as you think about your tongue, and if God has said to you, yeah, this is an, an area that, that you still have a lot of work to do, recognize that it's not just going to be, I'm going to do better at holding my tongue, but I'm going to do better at letting my heart be filled with God. Let's spend time with him.